of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. I feel like it has been a very long time uh, since I've been with you, since I've recorded one of these podcasts, and here I am today. Uh, a lot has happened in the past few weeks. I was sick at one point. I think I had the flu. Not positive, because I didn't want that thing going up my nose, so I decided not to get tested, but I did get some medication for it. And so um, I was sick, so that happened, and that put me out for a little while. Um, and then even after uh, I recovered from that, I was still deal- dealing with uh, drainage and um, congestion, really, in, I think, in my lungs. And so <laughs> I was just in no shape to record or sing or do anything like that. So, so I didn't. And then last week, or I should say this week, as I'm recording this, is my vacation week. And um, yes, I am studying and writing on my vacation week. That's because I've already done most of the fun stuff I wanted to do. I went to Ritos, New Mexico, did some hiking, played some golf, uh, did some more hiking at a state park here in Texas yesterday, played some more golf, you know, and now I'm going to use the next few days to get some things done that I needed to get done around my house and, of course, dealing with these podcasts. And so um, we are here ending the second third of the book of Psalms. And so we are here in Psalm 99, and the next one will be Psalm 100, and we will be 66% of the way through the Psalm Project. And so Psalm 99, and I should remind you that it is a part of a group of Psalms that is the these kingship Psalms. It is a royal Psalm. If you remember me talking about that, Psalm 93, and then also Psalms 95 through 100. They are royal songs or king, uh, kingship psalms. So Psalm 99 is one of those. Uh, and, and keep in mind, many of the psalms were intended for liturgical use, uh, even among the people of Israel, the the Psalms were intended to be utilized in the context of worship. And so often you have these sort of poetic and artistic elements to them, and this is one that, uh, that includes that. Uh, this Psalm can be divided into three uneven stanzas based on a refrain that is repeated three times with some sort of variation. If you look at verse Three. I'll read the psalm for you in a little bit, but Psalm uh, 99 verse 3, let them praise your great name, or your great and your awesome name. And then verse 5, exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool, holy is he. And then verse 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. So uh, similar themes in these And so you sort of have three uneven stanzas in this. So I mentioned that I would read it, but the reading is actually a part of the setting. And so you will hear this entire psalm read during the recording. Um, But I will um, go into my commentary on it. Um, It is a short psalm, but there is a lot here in these nine verses. 
So the psalm begins in the first verse, as I mentioned, it's a royal psalm, and you're focusing on the kingship and the authority of the Lord, and it begins with the Lord reigns. And we've seen this sort of um, statement before, and, and particularly in these royal psalms here at the end, uh, 95 through uh, 100, you see this sort of idea that God reigns above all things. And then it, it continues and gives some details on how he reigns. It says, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. So the cherubim, these are special angelic beings that dwell in heaven with God. And they are guardians of God's holiness as witnessed by their role in protecting the post-fall garden. You can see this in Genesis 3.24, that the garden was guarded and protected by cherubim. And they were symbolically represented in the tabernacle, both in the innermost curtain in Exodus 36 and in the most holy place in Exodus 37. And so this psalm refer, refers to the cherubim of God's throne with their outstretched wings above the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I don't want to get too much into angels. Um, a lot of people read into and have these ideas, different ideas about angels that are uh, sort of extra-biblical, and that's not to say that extra-biblical writings and documents are wrong, but we do believe the Bible is our authority. It is authoritative, and so we cannot accept accept writings that are extra biblical as as uh, authoritative. Um, we can use them as uh, references and maybe as helps, but not on the same plane as Scripture. So. When we talk about cherubim and seraphim, these are the angels that we see in Scripture. And the primary difference really is in their appearance. Cherubim have four faces and four wings, while seraphim have six wings. And in the Bible, the main role of both the cherubim and the seraphim, by the way, cherubim and seraphim is plural. A singular version would be the cherub and the seraph. But the plural, cherubim and seraphim, their primary role is to sit at the throne and worship God. You see the seraphim in Isaiah 6. Um, cherubim have uh, appear in several books of the Bible, including Genesis, as I just mentioned, but also Ezekiel, the books of Kings, and in Revelation, you see it as well. And their faces are multi or manifold, ox, lion, man and eagle, and so you have this wide variety of what the cherubim look like, although Ezekiel exchanges the ox for the face of a cherub, and they move fast, they use a wheel within a wheel, and their wings cover their body. Seraphim, the only place you really see the seraphim in scripture is in the book of Isaiah, specifically Isaiah chapter 6. And their name means burning ones or flying serpents. And so seraphim use two of their wings for flight. And so as the cherubim, they are among the highest order of angelic beings. One of the theories is that Satan himself, Lucifer, was a seraph before he was booted out of heaven. 
Uh, and so we know the story of how that goes, that Satan was is a fallen angel and, and in fact was a very high-ranking angel and one of God's um, most uh, favored angels. And so um, anyway, this, this psalm is not about angels, but uh, this is significant that it says, when we think about angels and, and their their power, Often when you see them appear in scripture, people are afraid of them. And so they are majestic. They are powerful. And yet their power and their majesty, if you want to call it that, doesn't even compare to the majesty of God. And that is why this scripture says he sits enthroned upon the cherubim. So we think of the angels and everything that they can do. And yet God himself is enthroned upon them. And then the earth continues to talk about God's power and greatness. And it says in, in verse 1, let the earth quake. So at God's special self-revelations, these are theophanies. I've mentioned this before. Um, these reverberations, if you will, like those of a natural earthquake were sometimes felt throughout the earth. First Chronicles 29, 11 reminds us of the greatness of God. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth are yours. Yours is the kingdom. O Lord, you are exalted as head above all. And it's just a reminder that no matter the power that we see in nature, in earth, think of the, the greatest storms, the hurricanes that exist tornadoes, fires, natural disasters, any of these things that happen do not compare to the awe and the power that, that exists in God himself. Verse 2, the Lord is great in Zion. Again, the mention of Zion, this, repeat, this appears uh, repletely throughout the book of Psalms. Verse 3, let them praise your great and awesome name, holy is he. So this is the refrain of the song that I have mentioned. God is set apart from his creatures because he certainly he created them. He even created the angels, the cherubim and the seraphim that this psalm speaks of. And so he's set apart and this is evident from his uncreated nature. That's hard for us to grasp because we exist in space and time. And everything has a point of origin, but God does not. So his power and his moral perfection are set apart. Verse 4, the king in his might loves justice. If you remember in Psalm 96.10, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, this world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. God is a God of justice. And then in verse 6, we have these references to some uh, people that Israel would have been very familiar with, that we're also familiar with. It says, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. So three of the most prominent leaders of Israel in the period before the monarchy and all three served as mediators between God and his people. Now, why are their names mentioned? Because they would have been revered among the people of Israel. And so, again, we have this, this psalm mentioning uh, cherubim and then three revered leaders 
in Israel. And so it's proclaiming and declaring that these beings have nothing compared to God. God is so far above any of them, it cannot even be fathomed. It can't be explained. He is, he reigns over all. And so it says, um, Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. So the emphasis of this section of the psalm is that God speaks to his people when they turn to him for help in prayer. Even the mightiest of Israel, Moses, Aaron, Samuel, they needed God. And so they turned to him in prayer. And then in verse 7, in the pillar of the cloud, he spoke to them. The pillar of the cloud, if you remember, God led his people with a, a cloud by day and a fire by night. And then in verse 8, O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. And so for their own good and to preserve his holiness, God may punish his people for the sins that they commit. Israel knew this because God gave foreign enemies power over them when they persisted in unbelief. And so this reflects God's corrective punishment. Verse 9. Exalt the Lord our God. So we have this refrain again. And it says, Worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. He is set apart. So this psalm has been set in a minor key with a, a refrain that actually, I did not use the three refrains, the, you know, verses uh, 3, 5, and 9, but I did use verse 9. And I used verse 1. Since the focus of this song is not only uh, the refrains talk about praising God and how awesome and great he is, the first verse sets up the psalm by saying that the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. And I feel like it, everything sort of stems from that first verse. He sits enthroned on the cherubim, let the earth quake. So the refrain that I've set starts with verse 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain for the Lord our God is holy. And then it builds into the first verse. So verses 9 and 1 comprise the refrain of this setting. And so the setting is the red text of Psalm 99 framed by this refrain comprised of verses 9 and 1. And so it is set in a minor key to give the uh, drama, if you will, of God's splendor and his awesome power. So here is Psalm 99 set to music. Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones.
and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Exalt the Cheers. 